been looking at uh, Genesis. We've gone through uh, four chapters. When you come to the fifth chapter, uh, you get one of the long genealogies of, uh, of the scripture, one of the, the first ones. <clears throat> it actually begins at the end of Genesis 4, where um, we get the, the genealogy of Cain, who was the one who killed his brother. And then in chapter 5, we get the story of the generation, we get the genealogy of Seth, who was the son of Adam and Eve that was born after Abel was, was killed. And uh, if you look at the two, and we're going to look at the two just a little bit today, although this isn't about genealogy, you see that there's two lines here. There's the line of Cain, which is the evil line or the unrighteous line, and then there's the line of Seth, which is the, the, the line that God blesses throughout, uh, uh, throughout time, even into our day. And uh, when, when we start talking about that, and we start talking about God, and we're looking at God, you know, we, as we've looked at these first four chapters, you know, we're talking about the majestic, holy, mighty God. God who in the very first of Genesis created the world by speaking the words. He created them from nothing. He laid the foundations of the earth, put the heavens in place, and told all of the parts of the heaven to stay there, to, to do what they're supposed to do. And they've all been obedient. It's the God who we know causes the wind to blow, moves the clouds around where he wants them to be says that God created angels, made them ministering spirits. He, he brought the waters from the hill and the heavens and sends the springs to feed our rivers and our valleys. He, he created the birds and gave them a place to live, gave them food to eat, gave them a song to sing. He causes the grass to grow and the cattle eat it. He causes the... the uh, land to, to produce so that we have food to eat. One of the things that it tells us about God is that he created or he planted the cedars of Lebanon. Great trees that dot the country in Lebanon or that dotted the country in Lebanon before they cut them down. But he also did the pines of Colorado. You know, so, so he He's the, the God who created and provided. I read a thing this morning that said that the light of the sun is not yellow. Did you know that? Do you care? You know, God created the sun, told it to warm the earth. He created the moon and told it to when to show up and when not to show up. Appointed the seasons. And, and that's the God that's described in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And then, I want, to, I want to read this to you. It's the first part of chapter 5. It says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Now listen to what he says. He created them male and female. So he created both male and female. And he blessed them. 
and he named them man in the day they were created. In other words, it's very clear. Man is not a term for one of the sexes. In the Bible, man is a term for all of us. So, you know, probably you could have said he blessed them and named them human in the day that he created them. And, and I just thought that was, was really cool to, to look at and, and realize that the Bible even tells us that uh, when, when the Bible talks about man, he's talking about mankind. He's talking about humans, unless he's talking about one particular specific man. Well, this day in Genesis 4 and 5 and 6 was not a good time to be alive. It was an evil time. If you move on over to chapter 6, it begins to tell us about the times. It was a time, chapter 6 says, when man, mankind followed its basis instincts. That um, they, they married and they took each other because of lust. Uh, they, uh, it was a violent culture. And it says in chapter 6 and verse 2, I think, or verse 3, um, it was a culture that lived so long they found lots of ways to sin. You know, they, they had so, so many opportunities that they found so many ways to sin. And it was a culture that God finally says, this, this is the culture where God finally says, I've had enough, and he sent a flood to destroy it. And so it was not a, a great time to, uh, to be alive as far as the times being evil. And it was into this world that the great, great grandson of Seth, okay? I thought about putting all this in a PowerPoint for you so I could show you how all that worked and how all the generations went. And I decided now we'd get tied down in technicalities that it wouldn't be worth nothing. But anyway, it's the great-great-grandson of Seth, who was the son of Adam. His name was Jared, and he gave birth to the one that we're going to look at this morning. As a matter of fact, the title of my message this morning is The Life and Times of Enoch the Faithful. Okay? So Enoch was born to Seth, the great-great-grandson, I mean to Jared, the great-great-grandson of Seth. And the word Enoch means dedicated. It's the second Enoch that's been born. In Genesis chapter 4, we find out that Enoch had a son, and he named him dedicated too. He named him Enoch as well. And so Enoch was dedicated to the line and the lifestyle of Cain. It was an evil dedication. And Seth was dedicated, I mean, Enoch, descendant of Seth, was dedicated to the lifestyle of his father as well. One of the, one of the interesting things you can see in this, in this difference between the two lives, the two lifelines, is um, the, the, the poetry that gets that puts in, put in here. Four generations after Cain, there was a man named Lamech who was one of the descendants of Cain, and he wrote a poem in Hebrew it's poetic, and uh, in, in our modern translations, in King James you don't see it, but in our modern translations, it's even formatted like poetry. It says this, Genesis 
Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, to start with, he has two wives. You know, no matter what, what people tell you today, God never authorized them to have two wives. He says, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold, seventy-sevenfold. Now, it doesn't sound very poetic, but it was poetry, and it was written as poetry. And, and you get the idea there that he's continuing the errors of Cain. He's still talking about murder and vengeance and evil, and this is the heritage of Cain. When you move over into chapter 5, you begin to look down the line of Seth. There's another poetry there. There's another poem. And see if you can discern the difference in them. This one also is a poem written by, the, by Lamech, only it's a different Lamech. Okay, so there were two Enochs, and now there's two Lamechs. Um, this Lamech is the son of Methuselah. Methuselah is in the line of Seth. And while in the modern translations it's not formatted as poetry, in the Hebrew it is poetry. And this comes, Lamech's poem comes when his son is born, and his son is Noah. And here's his poetry. Now he called his name Noah, saying, here's where the poetry starts, this one will give us rest from our work, from the toil of our hands, from the ground which God has cursed. Can you see the difference between the two? One is a poem of vengeance. One is a poem of hope. One is a poem of, of anger and murder. The other is a poem of, of rest and, and hope. So Enoch, the one that we're looking at this morning, his name is also dedicated. But he's not dedicated to Cain's line. He's dedicated to Seth's line. He is faithful in the line of Seth. And so these are the times in which Enoch lived. So I want you to look what happens to him. When Enoch was 65 years old, something amazing happened to him. His son was born, and evidently God gave him a vision when that son was born. And, and I say a vision because we know he began to prophesy about judgment. You have to go to the New Testament to read about that prophecy, and we're going to do that in just a second. But it had a profound effect upon Enoch. Two things happened. Number one, he gave his son a strange name. He called his son Methuselah. Now, it's, it, it's very meaningful, and it's very insightful, and it's connected to the vision. The name Methuselah means when he dies, it shall be sent. When he dies, it shall be sent. Now look at Jude, chapter 14. Uh, no, Jude, verse 14. There's only one chapter in Jude. This is in the New Testament. It was about these men that Enoch, and then to make sure we know which Enoch he's talking about, in the seventh generation from Adam, so the Enoch in Cain's line was in the third generation, 
The Enoch in Seth's line was in the seventh generation, so we know which Enoch it is. In the seventh generation from Adam, he prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. Verse 15, To execute judgment upon all, and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so, in this vision, or in this prophecy, Enoch saw this judgment. And like many of the prophecies, when God gave a prophecy, he gave a message to validify it. And what he gave was a name for Enoch's son, Methuselah. When he comes, it shall be sent. When he comes, it shall be sent. That judgment will come when Methuselah dies. So let's talk about years here for a minute. Methuselah was 87 years old when he had Lamech. And then he, was, he lived another 782 years. So Enoch bore Methuselah. When Methuselah was 187 years old, he had a son. His name was Lamech, who wrote the poetry. When his son Noah was born, it says he was 182 years old. So if you add 182 and 187 together, you get 369. That's how old Methuselah was when Noah was born. Are, are you following me? Go like this if you're following me, okay? Get in line and follow me. So Methuselah is 369 years old and Noah is born. When Noah was 600 years old, it tells us in uh, chapter 7, when Noah was 600 years old, God sent the great flood. So add the 600 years old that Noah was and the 369 years old that Methuselah was when Noah was born, and what do you get? 969 years. How old was Methuselah when he died? 969 years. When Methuselah died, the flood came. And that was the, the message that God gave to uh, Enoch when his son Methuselah was born. So God's prophecy of judgment came true. When he died, it was sent. And so God told Enoch this at the birth of his son, so that he, 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 his first effect was that he gave his son that name. But then the second effect is the one that's more telling to us, and that's this. I'm going to read it to you. Genesis 5, 21 and 22. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of when he dies it shall be sent. Verse 22. Then Enoch walked with God for 300 years. What? That was impressive to Enoch. He began to walk with God. He began to, the, the text says, 
that in the birth of his son, and I believe in the context of Scripture, in the vision of the judgment, led Enoch to this extraordinary walk with God. It's mentioned here. It's also mentioned in Genesis, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of fame of faith. Okay? So it's listed there as well. He walked with God. This isn't the ordinary kind of a walk with God. He was walking with God. We know that God walked with Adam and Eve before the fall, but in this walk with God, we learn that it's possible, according to the word of God, to live in the realm of the Spirit and walk in the fellowship with the Heavenly Father even after the fall. And Enoch's walk emphasizes the relationship that we can have with God and humans, that there's a relationship there. We can walk with God. We can have the high and holy privilege of walking with God. It's an exciting thought that all those things I said about God, all those things that are said about God in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, who created the heavens, who laid the foundation, who causes the wind to blow, who put the sun and the moon in the sky, who feeds the birds of the heavens, who who raises up the cattle of the field, that God who does all of that at the command of his voice, you can walk with him. You know, that's incredible. It's an incredible statement. Enoch shows us that we can walk with God like that. And it wasn't until over in Lamentations, I'm sorry, over in Leviticus, that Moses puts that in writing. And he says, if you walk in my statues and keep my commandments and do them, God says, I will walk with you and be your God. Isn't that incredible? Me, you, mere mortals can walk with the divine. In 1 John 1, 7, John writes, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. True fellowship with God and true fellowship with one another are made one way through Jesus Christ. When we walk with Jesus Christ, God's son. And that is so incredible. Finite human beings can walk with an infinite God. You know, we could we could run off. I told Jennifer when I was looking at this 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 last week, you know, there are a lot of sermons that could come from here. Uh, you're lucky, I'm only gonna give you one. But there's lots of them. You know, one of them is, you know, what happens when we walk with God? What does God do for us when we put our trust in Him? You know, the Bible teaches that He guides us. He's, you know, if you're walking with God, He shows you where to go. He, he, he gives you your guide. He, he comforts us. You know, he, he, when we're hurting, he, he ministers to us. He uh, protects us as we walk together with him. He guides us along when, when we're lost. He comforts us when we're hurting. He protects us as we walk with him. Why wouldn't you want to walk with him? If he does all those things. Why don't we want to walk with him? There's only one reason because we're more interested in the lifestyle of Genesis 4 than we are in walking with God in Genesis 5. 
Enoch walked with God. The vision of judgment that came to him was enough for him. But Enoch didn't live to see that judgment. He, he only lived like another 300 and so years after um, uh, Methuselah was born. 524 says, Enoch walked with God. Then it goes on and says, and he was not, for God took him. Hebrews 11.5 says this, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. There's an there's a extra word or an extra phrase there in Hebrews 11.5. It says, he was not found, which indicates they started looking for him. You know, uh, the, um, the, the, when it says God took him up, literally translated it is God translated him. Or more specifically, God carried him over. And what did he carry him over? He carried him across from life to eternity without entering the river of death that all mankind has to enter. And, and, you know, I love this. I love this. Imagine it. Just, just let your imagination go. One little girl said what happened was that Enoch liked to take walks with God. And uh, one day God turned to Enoch and said, Enoch, we've walked so far today, why don't you just come on home with me? And so he took him home. You know, the, 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 the thing is, is that it says that, that he was walking with God. God took him, and he wasn't found. People started looking for him. Where, where's Enoch? Where's Enoch today? Methuselah might have said, has anybody seen my dad? Where, what, what's happened? Where, where has he gone? And Hebrews 11 says, they never found him because he was not. What happened? You know, there was one other person who crossed over that God took over, right? Elijah. Okay, now you got, you got to be careful. Stay with me here. There's Elijah and Elisha, and they're both in this story. I wish they would have given one of them a different name so we could have followed a little bit better. Elijah, God took him without him dying. And when he was about to walk away, Elijah knew this was going to happen. And as he was about to, to, to walk away to go be with God, Elisha insisted on going with him. Elijah says, you can't go where I'm going. But Elisha says, but I want to go. I want, I want your mantle. I want, I want to have the, the power with God that you have. I want to be the spiritual force that you've been all of these years. And so Elijah said, well, okay, come on with me. You can see what happens. And when God translated Elijah to heaven, Elisha was there. And he was a witness. And he saw what happened. And then he reported it. And he said this. He says, there was a chariot of fire. And there were horses of fire. And Elijah went to heaven in a whirlwind. You know, that's another story that, that we can talk about. But doesn't it make you wonder? You think that's how Enoch went? 
you know, do you think it wasn't just a matter of fact that he, that he walked and then he just kind of disappeared into ethereal? But the God sent a chariot of fire to pick him up and take him into heaven? It says in 2 Kings, where the story about Elijah and Elisha is, it says that 50 prophets searched the hills for three days looking for Elijah, and they never found him. And then they believed Elisha. I wonder how long they looked in Enoch's day for Enoch. And how we know that he was just translated. Obviously, God told Moses when he wrote it that, that, that that's what happened to him. Yeah, I, I think that's a great story. But let me ask you this. But what does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? I, you know, I've told you a great story. But what does it mean for you and me? Well, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything changes. You know, after Adam sinned, everything changed. Death entered in, and we had to die. After the resurrection of Jesus, after the second Adam, Romans, Paul calls him in Romans the second Adam, Jesus Christ, after he came and died and resurrected, those in Christ do not die. That means if you're walking with Christ, death is not in your future. You say, well, but, but it is. But if you go back and you look, after Adam, they all died. With Christ, it changes. They all fall asleep, is what the New Testament says. We went to, we went to a funeral yesterday in, in Montrose, um, and the pastor read, read the, the passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, and, and, I, and I've read it before, but of course I had today on my mind and in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6, it says, and, and even those that saw all of those, some of those who saw the resurrected Jesus have fallen asleep, meaning they're gone. In the New Testament, in, in the New Testament, death is eternity apart from God. What we call death, the New Testament called sleep. He is asleep. They go to sleep. And, and the reason is, is because if you today, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you walk with God, when you cease to be, you're translated to walk with God in heaven. Now, folks, that's scripture. That's what it says. That's what we're about. As, as, as believers, walk with God, and when your days are over, you're translated to heaven to walk with God in heaven. I want you to see one more thing. It's only 25 after. You've got time to listen to one more thing. Okay? Genesis chapter 5, there's a judgment 
But there's also a picture of my favorite subject. Grace. Mercy and grace. And here's, and here's, and here's what it is. Methuselah means what? When he dies, it will be sent. So God told Enoch 969 years before he destroyed the world that judgment was going to come when this man, Methuselah, who was just a baby, when this baby grew up and he died, judgment was going to come. In fact, God said, as long as this man, Methuselah, lives, I'll spare the world. But when he dies, judgment will be sent. Now, if I would have asked you before I started, what's the one thing you know about Methuselah? What would you say? He was the oldest man who ever lived. Are you, are you starting to see the grace involved here? God said, when he dies, it will be sent. And he lived longer than any other man ever lived, before or since. Every year that Methuselah lived shows the mercy and patience of God. But one day he died. 969 years. Folks, that's almost a thousand years. After he was born, he died. And I don't believe that's a coincidence that just before the judgment, God allowed Methuselah to live to be older than anybody had ever lived before or would ever live afterwards to show us his mercy. Now, you know this is coming, right? Judgment's coming, right? You know that. The Bible tells us that judgment is coming. In Second Peter, we read this. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their lusts, and they'll keep saying, where is the promise of his coming forever since the fathers fell asleep? See the word there? Not since the fathers died, but ever since our fathers fell asleep. Everything continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For they maintain this and escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by the water through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. Okay, so, so he, he points back to the, to the flood of Noah's day. Peter does. But by his word the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. In other words, God is, God is protecting us keeping us for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. In other words, Peter's saying there is a day of judgment coming. And then he says, but don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like one day. You know, it wasn't quite a thousand. It was only 969 years. But God looked at Methuselah and told him what was going to happen 969 years away. 
I did a little bit of figuring this morning while I was eating breakfast. How long has it been since Peter made this, made this promise that the world was going to be judged? If, if he wrote this somewhere around 60 A.D., okay? And, and you, you can get out your pencil and add it all up. Add up 969 and 969 and you get 1,932, I think, or something like that, 38. Okay? So you add that to 60 and you get 1,998. So basically, it's been about twice as long as Methuselah lived since Peter told us about this judgment. God is more patient now than he was then. How much more patient? Because well, we're only 20, we're 20 years past 1998. Then look what Peter said. But the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. In other words, even though it's been twice as long, and it was a long time then, and it's been 20 years past that, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God's mercy and God's grace Folks, every time you get up and you see the sun come up and you know there's another day, it reminds us of God's mercy. Because one day he's going to judge the world. It's going to come. So Enoch had a good reason to walk with God. I think we have a better reason. Because the end is near at any time. Only the mercy and grace of God keeps it away. Enoch had a good reason. We have a better reason. Who has a reason not to walk with God? Enoch received a tremendous blessing. You read these genealogies. Read read the genealogies. It, It goes like this. He lived. He was born. He had children. He lived some more. And he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. Until it comes to Enoch and the formula is broken. Enoch was born. He lived. He had children. He lived some more. And then he walked with God. That's what happens with us. We're born, we live, we have children, we live a little bit more, and then we walk with God. Aren't you glad you're walking with God? <laughs>